Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of Marine Corps University. Today, we're discussing the new Marine Corps order on the Services PhD program. My guests today are Lieutenant Colonel Matt Lundgren and Major Ezra Aiken. Lieutenant Colonel Lundgren is the Marine Advisor in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Office of Strategy and Force Development. He's in the PhD program at George Mason's Shar School of Policy and Government and is part of the strategist track of the PhD program. Major Aiken is a logistics officer by trade who earned a PhD in operations research at the Naval Postgraduate School under the technical PhD program. He is currently serving as a technical strategist in the Marine Corps Integration Division of CDNI. Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate uh, the invitation. I've been a longtime listener. Uh, Fantastic show, and and it's a great outreach to the community of interest. Well, thanks. We we sure have fun doing it. (laughs) And again, thank you so much. This is a great opportunity and definitely appreciate the honor. So let's ensure that all of our listeners are on the same page. We did an episode on the PhD program. It's probably been a couple of years ago now when it was earlier on in the pilot phase. But let's make sure that that all the listeners are, are clear on where we are now. The Marine Corps started a PhD pilot program back in 2016 that includes two tracks. There's the strategist track and the technical track. And just last month, we were so delighted that we were finally able to formalize the program in a Marine Corps order, uh, 1524 TAC 2. So give our listeners a quick summary of your individual tracks. What does it mean to be a strategist? What does it mean to be a technical PhD in the Marine Corps? And Lieutenant Colonel Lundgren, I'll turn it over to you first. Yeah, so the, the strategist track uh, is essentially taking a, an officer and sending them to a, a PhD program in a civilian institution. Uh, related in some way, shape, or form to strategy. So we've had uh, officers attend programs that deal with public policy, uh, political science, uh, as well as military history. So some uh, academic program that that is related to strategy uh, with the intent of creating a strategic problem solver, uh, leader, and uh, an advisor for other strategic leaders to take that academic knowledge as well as operational experience and apply it against uh, complex problems to help both uh, the Marine Corps as well as the Joint Force and the Department of Defense provide military solutions to, to policy problems. Well, great. And Major Aiken, what does it mean to be a technical PhD with a PhD in operations research? So uh, operations research obviously is one of the specific tracks uh, within the Marine Corps order as far as the different ones. But in general, the technical track is focused on different uh, STEM-related disciplines. So obviously math, engineering, I'm not going to reiterate that acronym. But just quickly, some of the ones specifically that we're looking at, we have quite a few Marines who are selected for a master's program at NPS, the Naval Postgraduate School in fields or disciplines ranging from operations research, you know, that's kind of statistics and a lot of math, to modeling and simulation, the moves program, to uh, things like computer science and information sciences. And there's a neat opportunity this year. It's been broadened out. We're allowing um, people who have master's degrees in things such as space systems or space operations and um, some of the different engineering degrees related to uh, either electrical or computer engineering um, some of those are going to be able to apply this year as well. So I think it's really neat. And the the technical track specifically, what it's trying to get after is our future operating environment, as we we're already seeing uh, through force design, is increasingly uh, reliant on different technologies. And 
the ubiquitous sensor uh, sensors as across the battlefield are requiring us to be a little bit more nuanced in how we purchase technology and how we incorporate that into how we fight as a Marine Corps. And so the technical track is providing some um, leaders at different points within their career who can have done some research at kind of the master's level. And this is an opportunity for them to conduct novel cutting edge, uh, lead novel cutting edge research um, related to the previous work that they've done. But then not only can they take that in a dissertation and try to apply that back to the Marine Corps and provide utility during the program to the uh, Marine Corps, but then they can leverage that expertise as well as that network of individuals and professors, other students, and universities that they get uh, connected to through that process, through that through the PhD program at the Naval Postgraduate School. They get to leverage that for the rest of their career in the Marine Corps to help us get after some of the really thorny problems that we're facing. So that's fantastic. You both predate the Marine Corps order that was just signed. And one can understand why there could be some anxiety with entering a new program that doesn't have real ownership by the service yet. So I'll ask you both, what led you to to take this leap and get your PhDs? I certainly personally don't subscribe to the stereotype that Marines eat crayons and lick windows and what, you know, but it is a, it is somewhat countercultural to pursue a PhD in the Marine Corps. And what led you to make that leap, particularly while we were still in a pilot phase? For me, it was, it was kind of uh, twofold. First off, my, my educational experiences here at uh, Marine Corps University I've held in, in very high regard, and, and not just the experience here, but how they've carried forward into my operational assignments. So being a company commander uh, after going to the Expeditionary Warfare School and moving on to be an operations officer, I leveraged a lot of the things that uh, that I learned here and, and continue to do uh, with respect to planning. Same with uh, some of the other educational experiences I had. So I, I always closely tied... Uh, the opportunity to to spend time in school with some some really you know concrete benefits for for how I was in in my next job and so as I was um, kind of entering into my my time as a, as a lieutenant colonel and and looking forward into the future and and trying to figure out what kind of things would uh, would make me a better product for the service and be able to to uh, to give back a little bit more, you know. It kind of coincided with uh, with the creation of the pilot program for for the PhD uh, strategist program. So putting those two things together and uh, and the opportunities to study strategy and policy and looking at uh, the jobs and opportunities that I might have in in the future, I thought that that I would be able to give back more to the service having gone through this. And then uh, the second part of it was uh, up until that point, I had had a very conventional career track and um, had, had kind of done the, the standard infantry officer uh, type things. And, and here was this opportunity to do something different and, and challenging. And, and that definitely appealed to me personally to take uh, sort of a, a step off the beaten path for a little while and uh, hopefully be able to bring back to the Marine Corps uh, some different lessons uh, than I would have gotten if I had just gone to top level school. Well, and I think you're you're maybe being a little bit modest, Matt. I, I think you had more than just a typical infantry career. You've done pretty well in the Marine Corps up until this point, right? 
I, I've been very fortunate and <laughs> have uh, have had the privilege of of getting to serve on, on some pretty incredible teams. And um, you know, really, I'm a product of some some great mentors uh, throughout my time in the Marine Corps, and uh, and the product of like I said, getting to serve with some some great Marines and. And the opportunity to, to be able to go out and and, and accomplish some uh, some pretty worthwhile missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have been encouraged. Uh, you came into the program in the first year of the pilot phase, uh, along with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Cuomo. And now Dr. Cuomo finished his degree at Georgetown the month before or the month after. I forget when he defended his dissertation, but right about the same time that he took command. And so it has been encouraging for me to see the Marine Corps reward uh, Marines who have gone through this program with continued promotion and command opportunities, because it really does signal that the Corps values the work that you've done in the PhD program and that you really do have something to contribute back to the force. Absolutely. Like you, I've never subscribed to the uh, to the crayon eating uh, stereotype, although I, I know it's out there and, and it's uh, it, it's good fun to, to play along with that sometime. But I, I think both the people that I've worked for as as well as people that I've worked with have always valued education and uh, and leaders that that are making more than just uh, from the hip decisions that are making decisions based off of uh, critical thinking and analysis and and putting some thought into it. So I, I do think there is a a strong tie between operational effectiveness and, and education. And Major Aiken, it was a bit of a jump for you as well. If I my memory is not the strongest, but I I think you were a captain when you came into the program. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. What was your decision calculus? So my background, just really quickly, logistics, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, I got the opportunity of going to 2nd Tank Battalion um, and then got back-to-back kind of fleet tours. So 2nd Tank Battalion, 2nd LAR for deployment, and then up to the uh, 2nd MEF headquarters group. And so some really interesting experiences all down in Camp Lejeune uh, at the beginning of my career. And through all of those, not only running logistics, you know, um, refueling a whole bunch of tanks, and, and they really run through some fuel fast, but also being on ship and seeing uh, just seeing the a small taste of the logistic uh, requirements that go into something like MU. It was only a single ship that we were on, but being responsible for all the logistics tied to that was pretty significant. And there's a whole lot of things that worked through, and, and just as any Marine does, I think every Marine is highly intelligent. And so you, you take the tools you have, and you make the best of you know the problem that you're given, and you solve it, right? And you kind of beat your head into it, and you find a way around the problem. Going from that background, that experience, the Marine Corps sent me to, selected me on the Commandant's Career Level Education Board, C-Club, to go to NPS, uh, Naval Postgraduate School, to get an Operations Research Master's degree. I had no idea what it was prior to. It was not something that I chose. While in that two-year program, I started to see how the tools and the way of thinking that the Naval Postgraduate School provided us and, and taught us through that educational experience I really wished I'd had those tools earlier in my career because I could have used them so effectively in a lot of the different problems that I faced. And instead of spending six hours trying to come up with some solution and then having to redo the same process again and again, there's ways that it could have been automated. There's ways I could have solved that problem so much more quickly. Um, And so there's just this obvious connection of the utility of the degree that I earned at at that master's level. And I also 
realize that this is something that I really love. This is a very interesting um, and fulfilling field of research, and there's so much utility from that, from operations research specifically, to all of the Marine Corps. Every type of business process, no matter what it is, no matter what the activity is, you can apply some part of it to that. And I think all the different technical tracks have you know some pieces of that in common where there is uh, going through that master's program, it changes a little bit the way you think. So it's not making you more intelligent. Every Marine officer is highly intelligent. You know, you always have, in my mind, I remember the example of, you know, a general coming out and saying, I'm just a, you know, a farm boy from the Midwest. Then you listen to the next like three sentences and you're just blown (laughs) away at the high level intellect this individual has. But what we we have in the past been anti-intellectual. And there's a very uh, uh, important distinction there. And I think there's a increasing recognition that uh, we need to get into those different fields and learn those tools because when we pull them back and apply them to our problems, it can be very powerful. So this, I think, is a good segue for us to talk about force design. So the force design 2030 annual update that came out two or three months ago now, but earlier this spring, calls specifically for further thinking development on the utilization of PhD program Marines. So what skills, abilities, experiences, backgrounds do you think the PhD Marines possess that add value in the context of of force design, add value as we are trying to think in new ways about how the Marine Corps is best able to fight and win the nation's battles? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question. I mean, force design, uh, what the commandant is trying to do is really impressive. And it's incredibly important. We, in the past, American history, we have a 100% accuracy rate of being wrong and trying to predict the next fight, right? And so what we're attempting to do here with force design is we're attempting to try to get, you know, to potentially change that, right? We're trying to um, position ourselves as a force to be ready for where we see our, our major strategic competitor and where in the world we need to operate. And so tied to that, uh, there are some different tasks coming out of this uh, Force Design Annual Report that specifically, uh, one explicitly called out the PhD program Marines and assisting DCCDNI with working through a lot of those problems. And some of the problems just quickly that uh, we face is if you're trying to come up with what does the Marine Corps purchase capability-wise, how do you compare the um, relative worth of a child development center versus an upgrade to a rifle optic to some type of a communication pod that you're going to put on some type of a drone that's going to do some really cool stuff? Like trying to compare, you know, which of those is worth more investment? You know, you have a, a set number of dollars, and sometimes that decreases less than you even want it to be, but you have this finite number of dollars. How do you allocate them, and how do you optimize them so that you get the best return on investment for the money that you're spending? So those are really hard questions, and that's what DCCDNI, Lieutenant General Smith, is working on. I mean, that's kind of the heart of this force design question. How do we redesign the force, optimize it against a, uh, a future adversary and a, and a future location that we think and, and a way of fighting? And so some of the skill sets that the PhD Marines, and I'm going to speak uh, uh, kind of specifically to the technical track because that's, you know, a little bit close to what, you know, my experience and, and my understanding. The way the program teaches you to think about the world, uh, I think, is different. When I see some statistic, you pick your favorite statistic recently from the news. I start in my mind, and this did not happen a few years ago, but I start kind of questioning, hey, you know, 
how did they develop that? Like, what was, how did they collect the data? How did they figure out who they should collect the data from? Is that a representative sample of whatever population they're trying to extrapolate from? And, and you start completely unintentionally, just the way you look at the world has shifted. And I think that's important. You don't want everyone to look at the world that way, right? Um, you need people from different perspectives to look at a problem, to come up with unique solutions to it and try to find ways to, to solve it. But I think one of the really critical things, not only is the specific program that you go through, so all the different ones that the technical track now includes, but there's tied to all of those is just a kind of a different, a little more uh, analytically rigorous way of thinking about where does the data come from? How does this tie back to? I, I think there's a lot of skills that the PhD program Marines will bring to force design. The folks listening to this podcast can't see me smiling, but as Major Aiken is describing how he looks at the world differently, I'm, I'm, I am laughing hysterically on the inside. My sister has a PhD in biomedical statistics, and her job professionally for decades at this point is to review clinical trial data to ensure that, that these trials are rigorous and no harm is being unintentionally done. And my word... You certainly do look at the world differently, and you certainly have some very strong opinions <laughs> uh, when you actually understand how statistics work and how uh, experiments can be run and should be run and how sometimes they are run for whatever reason. And how much a, you know some kind of a study can actually say and what it can't say. Many times we yes. try to – we take some piece of analysis and we try to you know get more out of it than you really can. And, and knowing the weaknesses in there and, and whatever your analytic method is or whatever your piece of information that you developed is, I think is critical. Certainly. And being able to communicate those parameters to decision makers. Because again, there are lots of well-meaning people who are optimistic in how they present information. And that can have some catastrophic risk associated with it if decision makers don't understand the actual context in which they should be interpreting data that they're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. But the strategists also have an important role uh, maybe not in the the heavy science, uh, number-crunching way that we've discussed for the technical PhDs. What's their role moving forward with force design? Yeah, so I think the, the value proposition for the strategist program is threefold. Uh, the, the first is depth of knowledge in a, in a particular topic. You know, as a as sort of a sweeping generalization of, of my time in, in PME, uh, you tend to go through and get sort of a, a survey level understanding with different topics. So you may read about a, a certain battle and maybe, you know, if you're at SAW, you read an entire book about it. Or if you're in another school, maybe it's an article or something a little bit smaller. But you're generally not reading everything there is about that particular battle. And I, I really developed an appreciation for this at SAW where you would have an interaction with one of the faculty there and you would have a an opinion about something uh, that was based off the single book that you read. And then that faculty member would be able to challenge you because they had read, you know, essentially everything there was about, uh, say, Monte Casino or, or something like that. And so I, I think what the, the PhD strategists will be able to do is obviously dependent on what their research topic was, bring back to the Marine Corps a depth of knowledge for specific things that I think will be really valuable. Second, um, similar to, to what Ezra had to say, although maybe not quite as quantitative, the social sciences are also heavily invested in research methods and both qualitative and quantitative. 
So I, I would say I'm, I'm sort of cocktail party dangerous with statistics now, and I can digest statistical analysis in a way that I don't think I would be able to if I hadn't been in the in the PhD uh, strategist program. And so as a consumer of it, both advising uh, strategic leaders or in leadership positions myself, I, I think I'm more a more informed consumer and can ask those some of those questions about what were the, the assumptions that went into forming this model? Uh, what were the methods that were used? What are the strengths and weaknesses of those methods? And I think that that's important for for generalists, uh, which is what I, I think the PhD strategists are, uh, for generalists to develop some of those technical research skills uh, to, to put more rigor into some of the decision-making um, in the service. And then the, the third thing is a, a broader network. Uh, so here, here at uh, Marine Corps University, when I was at Command and Staff, I took a class with Lieutenant General Van Riper on systems theory. And there was a lot of discussion about closed systems and the dangers with those. And so I think having a PhD strategists going out to civilian education institutions and getting to interact with some of the thought leaders in the academy, be it about strategy or uh, deterrence or, or whatever the topic is, we're going to be able to bring back to the service whatever the state of the art is for those particular topics. And I, I think that that's valuable uh, for the service to get sort of those outside uh, ideas brought back in by insiders, Marine officers who, who are the PhD strategists. So let's, let's dig down on that last point a little bit. Can you give us an example of something that you did in your doctoral studies that is feeding into the work you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a little bit of serendipity, but my dissertation topic uh, has a lot to do with deterrence. And I'm, I'm in the office that uh, my, my utilization tour, which I'm in right now, uh, is in the office that writes the National Defense Strategy. And, and as we've all seen from Secretary Austin's public statements, uh, deterrence is taking a center stage uh, in the development of the ne that next strategy. So I would say that I'm much better equipped uh, to be part of the, the team that's working on that, having had the opportunity to, to read about deterrence and, and develop the depth of knowledge in that, that uh, there's no way I would have been able to do on my own or if I had just gone through uh, a single year at, uh, at some war college. Mm -hmm. And Major Aiken, how about you? What are you bringing from NPS that is leading the charge at CDNI. Yeah, so there's a bunch of different things. One is just that way of looking at the world a little bit differently. Um, so one thing I've been spinning on pretty heavily in the last uh, nine months since I got to uh, CDNI, one aspect is trying to come up with a way of kind of managing how do we conduct learning. There's a bunch of different activities we do. We uh, make, uh, Marine Corps Warfighting Lab underneath DCCDNI does most of the war games of the Marine Corps. How do we plan those out in a way that's going to nest well with trying to develop our program objective memorandum, the POM, right? Uh, the, our plan for what we think we need to purchase as far as capabilities. How do we make a cohesive campaign of learning? How do we manage that process in a way uh, that gets after supporting force design and the goals of the commandant? So that's one thing I've been spinning on a bit. Uh, the second is just how do you even think about how do you even compare, like, what's the right place to use quantitative analysis 
whether it's uh, modeling simulation, whatever it happens to be, something that's a little bit more numbers, right? And then where are places that you need to pull in subject matter expertise? So when you're trying to answer the question, what's the you know relative value or how, how many dollars, uh, what's the return on investment for a dollar if you put it into a CDC or into the Marine Corps band or into a new rifle optic? How do you even attempt to model that in some type of a way that's repeatable, kind of modeling it mathematically, conceptually, that allows you to say, this is the place where we need to run simulations. This is the place where we need to uh, pull in subject matter expertise because this is something that you can't really quantify as nicely. And so trying to design and think through how that process works and then lay it out in such a way that in the future, it's easy to start plugging in the quantitative analyses that all of the masters you know, of science in operations research, computer science, whatever the different disciplines are, that we can do that easily. Uh, so I think that's the biggest things that I've been trying to pull in. That is incredibly encouraging to hear. This isn't a, a dig on the Marine Corps because I think we see this in many different areas of life, but there is a sense that statistical analysis would trump qualitative analysis or a more nuanced mixed method approach because it's cleaner, it's more elegant, it's easier to visualize and to communicate in a concise way. But as we've spent a little bit time talking about today, you lose a lot of importance and you can misconstrue things sometimes more easily. Uh, so it's efficient for senior level decision makers to look at a chart and make a decision, but ensuring that you've done the due diligence earlier uh, in the, the research phase to, to really make sure that you have a balanced approach to how you're investigating these different questions, that's fantastic. It's definitely a challenge and it's a lot of fun. So looking back on your doctoral experience, was it easier than you thought it might be? Harder about about what you had expected? How did you, what was the expectation management like for you once you were in the program, too late to turn back, and you realized you just had to power through it? I would say uh, for from my perspective, uh, much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. It is a a solitary and unstructured uh, existence in a way that you, you don't have similar things in the Marine Corps. You ha certainly have unstructured problems uh, where you're dealing with a team that, you know, is, is helping you work through it, or you may have sort of a, a solitary uh, existence going through a PME school as an individual, but that is a very structured 10 months or so uh, at the school. So the combination of those two things, I, I think, was more challenging uh, than I thought it would be. PhD programs don't have a defined beginning, middle, and end. You kind of, you know, row until they tell you that you're done rowing. So from from my perspective, it was more difficult uh, than, than I thought it, it was going to be. And to be perfectly honest, you know, I, I applied for the the program when when the Marine Corps program came out. It was essentially right before deployment. Uh, I applied for the program, took the um, GRE on pre-deployment leave, and you know was doing uh, sort of on deployment, waiting to to hear back. And you know, came back from deployment, and uh, a couple months later, I was in grad school. So it, it was kind of a blur, and then all of a sudden, you know, sitting in in class and in a civilian institution, definitely a little bit of uh, of getting used to and culture shock. Uh, but it, even that, I, I think, is really worthwhile. Uh, what I'm doing now, I work in a in a civilian office, and I, I think the 
the opportunity that I had to be at a civilian academic institution and being immersed in a different culture from the Marine Corps, I think has put me in good stead um, with the utilization tour that, that I happen to be in now. So I, I've been very fortunate uh, to have the, the opportunity to do this and, and I'm trying to make the most out of it. And Ezra, you, I guess, had the advantage of being in the master's program in ops research before transitioning to the PhD. Did you get what you thought you were going to get or? So yes and no. Uh-huh. That's usually the answer to most questions, right? So the master's program, I enjoyed it. Uh, one thing that I liked about it was being in the military, we have a very structured uh, lifestyle. A lot of things are kind of directed for you. You don't have to make quite as many choices. Uh, the master's program is very much like that. Here's your coursework. Um, each class is very regimented. They've done these many times. Um, you know, you're going to have a midterm at this point. You're going to have a final exam. Here the quizzes are. You know what you're going to be covering. And you have a lot of other people with you who are doing the same thing. And so any problem that you're given that you need to try to solve, the solution already exists. And you've already seen a, something very similar to it. You already know exactly what the tools are that you need to use to try to solve this problem. When you shift from the master's program to the PhD program, you're trying to develop tools that have never been developed before, never been used. And you're sort of striking off into the unknown in, in a sense. There's no reason that you shouldn't use uh, methods that you already have, but there's a sense in which you don't know if you're going to be able to solve the problem that you've set before yourself, uh, especially in kind of the, the statistical realm that I was really focused in. And so there was a six to nine month window um, within the the PhD program where I was I thought we were making good progress, you know, writing a whole bunch of code, doing a lot of, you know, conceptual math work. And at a certain point, uh, my advisor and I were looking at it and we said, you know what, I think we just need to scrap that last nine months of work and we're going to start over. That's hard. I mean, that's yeah. nine months of your life, you know, where you've been working really hard on this problem. You're going to essentially saying, we think this is a fruitless line of research and we're going to jump all the way back and we're going to go in a different direction. But I think that's an incredibly useful thing because if the answer already exists, if you're just applying it in a different way, like that doesn't, that doesn't require, you know, this kind of uh, the mindset or the skills that you get from a, a technical PhD. And so being able to say, I don't know how to solve this problem. Here's some ways that we can start. You make some progress and you say, oh, I think we need to step back. Um, I think that's a, a good, healthy thing to know. And you talk to any um, research professor from kind of a STEM-type discipline, and they've all experienced the same thing. You might have two, three years of fruitless where you're not really getting a huge, any breakthroughs um, at times. And then you'll have this like one week where everything finally aligns and you make huge jumps. And so being able to see that even though right now I don't seem to be making progress on this problem, that doesn't necessarily mean that I need, you know, should give up. It's you know, keep working at it. You may need to, you know, go back a few steps. But I think that's just a very healthy uh, experience to have. So I like how this discussion has turned into a recruitment pitch for the next year's class. <laughs> By the time you are <laughs> listening to this episode, uh, the MAR admin will be released for FY22. Yeah, join the PhD program. You might lose nine months of your life on fruitless research, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it'll be solitary and unstructured. Uh, so yes, you Marines who are gluttons for punishment, please, please apply as part of uh, the CPIB process. Get your packages in. So the Commandant has made clear that he wants PhD Marines who are both PhDs 
and Marines. That he's very clear that he's got plenty of stinky civilians to do. He doesn't call them stinky civilians, listeners. That's me. He doesn't call them egghead civilians either. But his point is he's got plenty of civilians who can do the egghead work. And he's got plenty of straight-up Marines to do the straight-up Marine work. That he he doesn't want you to lean too far in one direction or the other. How do you can anticipate that you're going to continue to strike that balance as you move forward in your service? For me, um, I, I don't anticipate there being any other option. We are Marines. You know, we are serving, and you know, we're we're sent uh, where the Marine Corps needs us. And and I don't think anyone should enter into the PhD strategist program believing that they're going to be anything other than uh, a Marine. I'll finish my utilization tour. Uh, next summer uh, at OSD, you know, essentially my joint tour, and I'll get orders to to somewhere. Uh, I assume in the operating forces. So, uh, regardless of where that is, you're always going to be a Marine first. Um, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be taking care of the things that uh, that need to be taken care of, whether it's the mission uh, or or the Marine. So, I I don't see an opportunity to be anything but a, a Marine going forward, and. I think that's one of the great things about the the strategist program is there is a intentionality to have the participants serve in the operating forces um, as well as utilization tours so that they maintain that balance between being a Marine first, but also uh, equipped with this uh, additional educational opportunity. Mm -hmm. And do you see it similarly? Yeah, I think there's... So earlier I mentioned that um, Marines are highly intelligent but they have at times been anti-intellectual. And I think that comes from you don't want uh, some experts in an ivory tower to try to tell you what you should do when they're completely disconnected potentially from reality. And I think that's the concern that's being that you, that's kind of the heart of this, what you're bringing up here. And so the problem is, you know, we as Marines know no plan survives contact. You know, as soon as you – here's our plan. As soon as you start to execute it, you're going to have to adjust off of it, Right. And so if you're sitting in an air-conditioned office and you say, here is how the Marine Corps needs to do this, and in all my wisdom as a doctor, this is what we think we should do. Like, we intuitively know as Marines that it sounds great until you're, you know, cold, uh, freezing in a foxhole somewhere, and you're trying to execute some plan that someone else came up with, and they're not experiencing, you know, reality the way you are as, you know, potentially standing duty somewhere like, you know, in a foxhole sitting behind, um, you know, whatever your position is. So I think the biggest thing that we have to do with this program, and we're building this into how we're attempting to try to codify, you know, what is the utilization concept for the, the technical track? And how do we go about, you know, this kind of, okay, now you have this degree, okay, how does this benefit the Marine Corps? And part of that is saying, um, we need to make sure that we're going and staying connected with forces that are operating, you know, whether it's, you know, going down to Camp Lejeune, going Camp Pendleton, you know, going to Okinawa, wherever it happens to be, and seeing what's the reality on the ground and making sure that you stay connected to that, right? Uh, a second piece to it, and this is uh, one benefit of being in uniform, is that one thing that came out of the, the war in Iraq was there was uh, a lot of professors at West Point who went out to support General Petraeus. And one thing that they found that was very, very helpful was being able to deploy on the ground to see what's really going on. But then in addition to be able to like 
uh, that I was talking to a, a army lieutenant colonel back at uh, Naval Postgraduate School, and he described leading a patrol because he was still in uniform. He led a patrol out to a part of the city that wouldn't usually have a patrol to that location, but he was able to kit up, lead the patrol out, collect data that was critical to answer a commander on the ground question that then was going back to Congress um, and being able to have that connection, not only did he have the degree that kind of passed muster when other people were looking at it from back here in the States, but he was able to kit up and, and lead a patrol outside the wire and, and really understand like what's really going on on the ground. And so I think, I think that's critical, having those technical experts who are able to deploy and leave the wire to get a real sense of what's really going on and make sure that, you know, some plan that sounds good in an ivory tower in an air-conditioned office is actually going to be somewhat feasible uh, for the people who are actually going to execute it. Mm -hmm. So we have four Marines who are getting ready to start this program. On the strategist side, we have a Marine heading to Johns Hopkins SICE and another uh, heading to Texas A&M. And then on the technical side, two Marines on their way out to NPS. What advice do you have for them as they launch their doctoral studies? How can they be most successful for the next few years? I guess I thought about it more in terms of uh, advice for for future applicants. Um, I think for the for the individuals that are are in the program already, one of the best pieces of advice that I got that I wasn't actually able to implement was if you can figure out what your research topic is for your dissertation early on and make uh, essentially every paper that you write in class about that topic, you will, over the period of the coursework, build a significant portion of at least the literature review, if not the uh, the research itself, uh, for that topic, and you can condense a lot of time. Like, like I said, I wasn't uh, I wasn't good enough to be able to do that in practice, or I'd, you know be done already. But um, th that that is something that that is a piece of advice that I was given early on. I just didn't have a really clear vision of what I wanted to research uh, in time to put that into practice. So that that's what I'd say for for those that are already in the program. And what would be your advice for the app for those who are motivated by our conversation right. today and are preparing their packages to apply? What would you say to them? Yeah. I I mean, I, I would uh, I would give them a lot of encouragement. I, I think it's it's a challenge. Like I said, it's it's something incredibly difficult. If you're looking for a challenge, which I I would certainly hope most Marines are, if you're looking to do something different, then by all means uh, submit an application. You know, of course, it is something different, and there's elements of risk with that. I don't think being in the strategist program preordains you uh, for any opportunity or closes out any opportunity to you, but just realize that that it is something different. From a, a applying standpoint, the advice that I would give is not every uh, PhD program is the same and not every school is the same. So spend some time thinking about what you want your research topic to be. Uh, it has to be something that you're going to be interested in and going to be able to live with for for a number of years reading as much as you possibly can about that topic. So it's it's got to be interesting to you. And if you can figure out what that is, take a look at different uh, PhD programs, uh, whether it's you know, something in political science or military history, and look in depth at the different requirements for each program, whether it's prerequisites, whether it's different research methods, the, the amount of statistics classes that you have to take vary by institution. 
And, and so I would put a lot of thought into, into that before deciding what schools to apply to. And then as well as taking your, your suggested research topic or your intended research topic and look at the faculty for each school and, and who is sort of at the cutting edge for that topic. Uh, because ultimately, your your PhD ex- experience um, is going to have a lot to do with with who your committee is, and so if you you're going to have to be able to recruit three or four or however many professors, depending on the program, for your research topic, and you're going to want that research topic to be interesting to them. So, a little bit of work up front determining uh, which programs have faculty that are interested in, in things that are similar to you can be a great way uh, to make the, the experience uh, a little bit better for you. Um, I've, I've been very fortunate at, uh, at George Mason uh, with the, the professors that I have on my, on my committee. Um, and I, I think being able to do that, up, but that was a little bit of, of happenstance. Um, and being able to do that intentionally, I think, really sets you up for success going forward. Great. That's some great points. Ezra? Yeah, just reiterate. I mean, you're going to be living whatever topic you choose, you know, for a number of years. And if you don't like it well enough to live it, breathe it every day uh, for those for those years that you're working and writing that dissertation, you know, that's going to make your life rather miserable. So, But at the same time, the other thing I would caution is make sure that not only is it something that you enjoy if you're coming up with what you think your uh, research topic is going to be, but make sure it also uh, you have kind of a clear understanding in your own mind how this benefits the Marine Corps, how this is going to intersect with in some way and benefit the Marine Corps in the future. Um, it doesn't have to be something that can be immediately applied uh, within the Marine Corps. There may be things that we're just not ready to do yet, but there's no reason that you can't make sure that you have that clearly defined in your own mind uh, as you're going to trying to come up with a topic. Um, and then as far as people who are thinking about applying, I mean, obviously apply. Um, this is an incredible opportunity for the Marine Corps to allow us, you know, to, to send us and give us, you know, uh, full-time students to go do this. this is really neat. And, and thinking of all the Marines who have on nights and weekends and during deployments uh, gotten PhDs on the side. I mean, that's really hard, so hats off to them. So this is a really neat opportunity to do it where it's not, you know, just really uh, a huge cost to, to your family. Mm-hmm. And my only small little technical tip uh, to potential applicants is practice your GRE before you take it for score. Yeah, especially the math. I, I hadn't done uh, anything except, uh, you know, addition and subtraction for, for mortar gunnery in about 20 years. Uh, so the the math portion of it was particularly challenging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so final question to you both. What are you reading right now that our listeners should know about? So in, in addition to, to all the stuff for work uh, and the dissertation, the, the thing that I'm reading right now is, is called The Back Channel by William Burns. Um, he's the, the director of the CIA, but he's also he, he was a, a career diplomat um, and I think worked his way all the way up to um, the deputy secretary of state. So it's, it's, a, pretty, um, it's a pretty great memoir. Um, and was he was front and center for for a lot of things in the last you know twenty thirty years a lot of pretty pretty important things from the fall of the uh, the Soviet Union um, all the way through the through the Gulf War and and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan I, I made a concerted effort 
when I knew that I was going to, to OSD policy to start reading memoirs from civilian policymakers, uh, whether they were former secretaries of uh, defense or national security advisors, because I really wanted to, to develop sort of a, a database of civilian policymaker perspectives on the employment of the military to be able to to be a better advocate for the use of military force in OSD policy. So that that's kind of how I focused my personal reading in the last year or so since uh, since getting the orders to OSD policy. Great. So tend to end up reading multiple books at the same time. But a couple that I think listeners should definitely be aware of. One, if they have not read um, Wayne Hughes' Fleet Tactics. Um, he has uh, recently uh, passed away, but he was a um, professor at uh, the Naples Graduate School. And if you want to understand kind of the the heart or some of the, some of the like the driving core essence of force design and and how that's kind of playing out, um, especially from kind of a mathematical conceptual way, that book is is a really important critical read especially the the whole idea behind the Salvo equation. So just highly recommend that. Um, then another one that's not quite as dense or difficult is um, The Power of Habits, a very interesting book to kind of dig through and, and think through, you know, some different things that are not quite, you know, statistics. So, but very, very interesting. And there's a lot of connections and ties there. So it's a good, well-rounded perspective from the two in combination. Those That's a, a good summer reading list that you've cultivated there. Thank you. So Lieutenant Colonel Lundgren, Major Aiken, thank you so much for coming on the show. To keep up with the good work of Marine Corps University, follow us on social media at at Marine Corps U. Special thanks to our intrepid producer, Jen Patcha Howell, and our show manager, Captain Michael Goff. I'm your host, Becky Johnson. Thank you for listening to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of Marine Corps University.